I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the Father, the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to be seated. I'll state up front, the Gospel of John is somewhat a strange Gospel, and for somebody like me, who really is a Gospel reader of Mark, I always struggle with the Gospel of John. I also will tell you, one of my favorite Wall Street Journal writers used to have a feature in his weekly column that said, metaphor alert, and he used to throw up there, uh, you know, statements by politicians and public leaders that were filled with metaphors, many of them uh, uh, mixed. And, and so I always used to love that. How many metaphors can you get into a sentence? And some of that is true with the Gospel of John. Lots of metaphors. Because John is trying to talk about spiritual life in the context of a group of people who are first century Palestinian peasants. And the physical life is really important to them. It's important to all of us, I think, we want to know that the life we're living right here and now will be blessed, that we'll have joy, that the good things that God has created on this earth will be available to us, and that the people whom we love will be cared for. It's always a struggle to try and deal with that. And the Gospel of John is, especially over the past five weeks, has been exploring this whole thing about relationship. And I think if we get to the bottom of this whole passage, all of this uh, issue about the bread of life, 
an allusion to our weekly act of worship, the communion, the Eucharist, is about relationship. I know that sounds strange because as we're dealing with the bread and wine, it's like relationship. But one of the things that we state in our worship, in our theology, in our whole being is that the communion is really the principal act of worship because it does two things. Number one, it calls upon Jesus to be present with us. Jesus to be present in the physical elements of the bread and wine. And that's a lot of what John has been talking about over the past six weeks. The other part about it is, is that it invites us to be present to one another. We don't do communion alone. One of the prohibitions in the Episcopal Church is, I need at least one other person to do communion with. Every priest has that, has that requirement. So I can't go say a mass with nobody else around. We need community for this. And by the way, I think sort of the bigger the community, the better. That's why being with you all every week at home and here is part of the process of worship because it connects us together. One of the real amazing gifts of, of Zoom, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing a thing, but whether it's Zoom or Facebook or some other system that you've had, when we were separated and could not physically get together, Zoom allowed us to see each other, to be together. Now, I will tell you, I don't think it's a great way to start a relationship, but I think it's one of those things by which you can continue a relationship. It's sort of just like, I don't have political discussions on Facebook, but I connect with people because of relationship. And there are about 20 to 25 people over the past five or six years that I will tell you, I look for their Facebook posts because they're usually about what's going on in their life. And many of them are priests, so I also get to know what's going on in their religious life and their spiritual life. And some of these people are just amazing friends of mine who I've gotten to know over the past 20 years of my life as a priest. Now, the thing that brings the relationship and is really important in this moment in the Gospel of John is we're given three types of people. I know, it's supposed to be, there. you know, there are two types of people. There are the people who believe in the Gospel of John and there are those who don't know. But there are three types of people that Jesus is trying to talk to us about in this moment in the Gospel of John. There are represented those who don't believe, and I don't mean believe in, oh, I intellectually assent to the proposition that Jesus has given us, but believe by giving their faith to and trust to the God of the Jewish people and that God through Jesus, that somehow those people who believed in Jesus thought that they were showing their trust for God. There's another group that doesn't believe, and at the end of, during the middle of this reading, they go, ah, you know, this is too tough for us, so we're off. And then there's the third group, consisting of one. It's not a large Venn diagram, but it may be bigger than we think. It's Judas, the one who betrays, the one who hands Jesus over 
to be persecuted and executed. Some of what John is simply trying to ask is, are you part of any of these groups? And for this part of the text, and for today, I would say, yep. And how many of us can fit neatly into those groups? So I'm going to push back on the text because I think it's actually possible to push back on the text a little bit. Just as when Jesus says, you know, eat my flesh, you're eating me, and he gets a lot of pushback from the people around him, he said, this was a, the people say, this is a hard saying, or this is a hard teaching. But what's hard? Is it simply the issue about Jesus's flesh, or is it this relationship with Jesus that leads us to a relationship with God? My reading of it is it's both. That makes me a good Episcopalian. I'm neither or, I'm both. I'm both and. And it also, I think, is fits the reading. That the challenge here is what Jesus represents both physically and metaphorically to the people who he has come to serve. Now, I will have to also tell you something. There's a little bit of information you need behind this. Is the, the community that John was writing to and that may have been influential also in how John wrote his gospel is important because at one time we're fairly certain they were intimately connected with the synagogue. You heard Jesus was teaching in the synagogue this morning. You later find out about the man who was born blind and is challenged by being thrown out of the synagogue. The term Jew is brought up in the Gospel of John repeatedly, not in an anti-Semitic, but yes, in an anti-Jewish way within the community to distinguish those who weren't following Jesus from those who were still part of the faith. I think this is a historical reality that we have to struggle with. It's why the passages in John are some of the most sublime and some of the most challenging, especially those around Holy Week. This isn't all the Jewish people. This is those distinguished within a community. And I will also tell you, historically, it has been abused by Christians to dump on Jews. That wasn't right. It was an internal conflict. And we tried to universalize it much to our shame. But I also will tell you that it was part of the life of this community, and so they're struggling with this. So they really did think there were only three types of people in this world. There were the people who believed that Jesus was the way, there were the people who didn't believe that Jesus was the way, and there was the betrayer. It's a really hard grouping to get, but once you look at who the believers were, and this is my pushback against the simplicity of the text, is you have to deal with the intransigence and, and ob obtuseness of Jesus' disciples. So who is his primary disciple? Even one of his primary disciples, I apologize. One of his primary disciples in this gospel? Yeah, it's Peter. Peter betrays him at the end to the extent that he denies him three times and allows him to go to his execution alone. There are the other disciples, you know, right now, Peter, even, Jesus, to whom shall we go? He's confused. He, he, is, he is challenged. 
We have Nathaniel. We have all these other people in that I think really are disciples, but have a time struggling with their discipleship. So it's okay, I think, even as we look this morning at secure discipleship, the ones who followed on, where else do we have to go? And acknowledging that we can be disciples within that context and still not quite be sure about everything that we supposedly are adhering to or trusting in. I have a couple of uh, weddings coming up in my family. Two daughters are about to get married. One of the things I tell, try to tell, I will try to tell them, one on a professional basis as well as a fatherly basis and others is, you know, when you get married, it's not a deterministic relationship. Marriage is about constantly renegotiating with your partner, your life partner, the person whom you love. Because life changes us. I hope it does. I hope we're all not set forever and ever. And we'll have to renegotiate how things get done. It happens with job changes, you know, adding children, pets, changing homes. All of these things affect how we interact with one another. And yet, in the marriage vows, we try to make this proclamation, both physical and actual, about the metaphorical thing called love, which none of us can see, but we can see the effect. And what we're saying to each other in that moment is that we trust, that we trust enough to pitch our commitment to this person, hoping that that trust will grow and grow and grow. And that's something about the relationship that the Gospel of John would have us think about is this trust that is pitched in something that we don't know everything about yet. The disciples, this is chapter 6, the disciples have a long way to go and a lot of, a lot of struggle to go through before they get to see the real result of their hope. The Gospel of John is all about the life of Jesus, the Word come down from heaven, the death, resurrection, and ascension. That ascension is such an important part because it puts Jesus back into the connection with the kingdom and places him where he came from. And we are invited into that relationship with him, not only here, but in that place now, that there is somehow a connection between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world even in these moments. And we see that connection here for Jesus in the bread that he gave the people in the wilderness when they were hungry. The offer of himself as a marker of a relationship with God and an offer of himself in a relationship with one another. I think the world in which we live right now is a world that's struggling to remember how those relationships will connect each other. We're trying to other a lot of people. We're trying to make them different and, and something less than human. 
And yet, the invitation that God has is to look beyond even those people who are about to betray this community and offer up connection instead. You'll notice that as Jesus goes through this, he doesn't lash out against his enemies. He offers himself up. That his enthronement, as we review annually, in the Gospel of John is when he is raised up on the cross. A self-giving of Jesus, and as we interpret, a self-giving of God. Something we who come from outside the nation of Israel and who are talked about among the prophets as the nations, that we can adhere to the same God, the same love, the same promises, and the same future. The Bible offers us an insight into relationship. And there are two quadrants for that relationship. The relationship we have with God, sort of the up and down, and the relationship we show with one another. This is an important and vital aspect of the, of the um, bread of life discourse. It is in this physical world that we affirm the longings of our spiritual selves. And we leave the rest up to the God in whom we trust.